0: Two guys, two topics, two, two, two. two opinions, two, talk. give me two. This is the split story of the day on 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Jazz will inbound underneath their own basket with a game and a half lead for the one seat. Conley to inbound to the right of the basket, inbounds to Gobert. Conley comes back to get it, curls around, steps back for a three in the win. He got it. seconds left. Mike Conley. Oh, pose like you're a statue. A gold one, Mike Conley, because that was shiny as can be. 104-103, Mike Conley does it. Rubio's going to inbound. Towns is at the free throw line. The top of the circle, between the circles, is Russell marked by Conley. Rubio inbounds. Rubio holding. Rubio finds Russell, laser. and in the jazz broke down defensively on a back cut by d'angelo russell nobody guarded him and he laid it up and in uncontested were they supposed to be switching all over the floor i mean what was going on here mike conley and rudy gobert miscommunicate 105 104 ingles will inbound jazz are in a diagonal on the near side, Clarkson, Conley, Bogdanovich, Gobert, all in a diagonal line from the left corner to the elbow of the free throw line. Clarkson moves first, Ingles inbounding, trying to get it to Conley, does with four seconds, gets a pick from Gobert, Rubio knocks it away and steals it and the Jazz lose. And the Jazz lead for the West is down to a game. There you go,
2: David Locke on the call. That Conley three wasn't quite the game winner. For the win! Yeah, it wasn't. Was not, it's all uh, over almost here. Yeah, right. One of those moments. Well, there's still six seconds left, and this is the NBA. A lot can happen in six seconds,
0: as we, as we saw. Uh, he is the guy, though, that a couple weeks ago called a dagger in the first quarter. Dagger. Against the Lakers, he and, did not. Did David? I pulled
2: it for you. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I have to play. It for David, you. I listen to David every broadcast. Maybe I Lakers
0: it. went on like a seven to run. Dagger. <laughs> it's a little early. Eight minutes left in the first early. here. I
2: don't, maybe I just uh, somehow erased that from my memory. I, I'm kind of convinced I've got uh, somebody is is uh, what was that movie? That Will Smith movie, The Men in Black, with the the mind erase thing. That I, somebody's <laughs> just following me around, and every once in a while is like, Hey, look at this. And it's just gone. So there's a chance that uh, I may have forgotten that. But anyway, dagger in the first quarter. That might be a tad early. Might be a tad early. Although I give Locke a lot of credit. Usually toward the end of the game, when he says dagger, it's it's
0: over. Sure. Because and, and, and by the way, that was a hell of a call. It just ended up not being for the not, win. Not being. It was a me. great call. I mean, it was an incredible shot. It was. <laughs> it was an incredible shot, Mike
2: Conley. Ice water in the veins, but then Rudy makes a mistake, and and here's what I love about Rudy: he owned it uh, in the post game. First question was about it, and he said, "Yep, uh, I made a mistake, and I feel kind of dumb." And we've all been there, particularly if you work in the radio business, uh, Austin. Uh, you can relate to this. Uh, we uh, do stuff that makes us look dumb all the time.
0: <laughs> I do stuff all the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah
2: and, and you, I come away I'll from do something
0: this segment, I promise. Oh,
2: I come away from shows three, four times a week thinking, wow, I feel dumb. Pretty amazing how dumb I feel right now. Um, yeah, let's, let's play, let's play the clip. Austin, let's, let's hear from Rudy himself, uh, talking about, or taking accountability for his mistake in the, uh, uh, second to last play of the game.
0: Uh, it's, it's totally on me. You know, um, he was already out there. We kind of, we kind of, we, we switched and, uh, I should have recognized that, you know, just uh, he did what he was supposed to do uh, and uh, I didn't. So, 200% on me. Were you guys going into that play knowing that you wanted to switch?
1: No, we, I mean, the goal was for me to, you know, at first, like, stay with towns, but uh, on that situation, we had to, and I called, you know, I called the Black, so we had to, yeah, he did, Mike did exactly what he was supposed to do and, uh, I didn't, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's one of those plays when you watch the replay, you just, uh, just, <laughs> you
0: just feel dumb, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those, you know, it doesn't happen a lot, but, uh, 100% on me, for sure. I,
2: uh, and I love that. I love that about Rudy. His, his game interviews are always the most candid. He's very, he's very honest when he communicates, uh, with the, with the media and the public. And I really appreciate that about Rudy and, uh here's the thing. How frustrating must it, must it be? And I feel bad, actually, for offensive linemen in football to a certain extent for the same reason. But how frustrating must it be that, like, the one mistake you make all game? I mean, and it did. It cost his team the game. It did. It was a really, really bad mistake. And we can, you know, kind of look into exactly what happened. But, I mean, he blew it. He blew it. He guarded the wrong guy. And the guy who was supposed to guard scored the game-winning basket. So, I mean, it doesn't, you don't get much more responsible for a victory or for a defeat uh, than that. Granted, it was a long game, and the Jazz really didn't play very well. But it's, it's got to be so hard, though, to watch other teammates, and no offense to the other teammates, make plenty of mistakes that you just erase and nobody ever notices. You know what I mean? Rudy makes up for everybody else's mistake. You make one darn mistake, and bam, it's all anybody's talking about across the entire NBA. You know? It'd be it'd be it'd be frustrating and be like, cow, Didn't they notice that I, I completely changed the game with my mere presence because I'm that good? But I make one mistake and lead in Sports Center. It's like the offensive tackle gets the one holding call that brings back the touchdown.
0: And every for his NFL draft highlight montage, they yeah. pick that one play yeah. to show over
2: one, that one play.
0: It, it happened to to Garrett Bowles. He got called for holds three weeks in a row and. Every game after that, he got called for a hold or six. <laughs> Everyone else is holding on every play, but, but he, he gets it. He gets the call. The, yeah, the, he the, gets the flag. The football and out. Uh, uh, comparison went through my mind, Jake. Is that was the biggest defensive lapse by a very good defensive player since Marcus Williams blew it against the Vikings. Oh man, that's. There was only one way for the for the Wolves to win last night, and they they got it done just like there was only one way for the Vikings to win that game.
2: You know, you bring up Marcus Williams, too, because he's a great example. That, didn't they just franchise him yep. or give him the franchise yeah. tag this year? I mean, he's obviously awesome. But what's probably the one play on the top of everybody's mind when you mention him?
0: Yeah, well, Bill Buckner was an incredible baseball player. <laughs> really Phenomenal th- baseball player. But no one knows that because he had that one
2: blunder. And not that this will be the, the headline of Rudy Gobert's career no. by any means. So it's, it's certainly not that. That's um, a
0: grandiose comparison. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's certainly not to that level. But, I mean, you know, the first question he's asked out of the gate in the post game uh, is not about all the, the, the dozen shots that he changed or blocked or whatever or all the help he gave to his teammates who got beat off the dribble. No, that wasn't the first question.
0: The and first nor question, should it have been. <laughs> nor
2: should it have been. The first question is about the one mistake he's made, you know, in the last month.
0: And that's the gig. And he knows it, it and gig. he handles yeah, yeah. it well. And he handles it great.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, he steps up there. He, he totally takes his teammate off the off the hook because he could have been vague about it. You know, oh, we got to work on our communication or something where, you know, people come away thinking like, oh, was that really Rudy's fun? Is Mike, what's Mike doing? You know, where but Rudy takes his teammate off the hook, puts it on himself. And uh, says onward and upward. And and you know what it it comes from a guy who's pretty confident that he's won a bunch of basketball games for this team. And so, will again. And will again in the very near future. Sacramento coming up tomorrow. <laughs> I think likely <laughs> easy a, now. Likely a victory. You've but...
0: had two guarantees over the last two games that haven't gone. Okay, guarantee is a little <laughs> strong. No, well I guess Gordon was the one saying, I guarantee they'll beat the Wolves on Friday. But... Oh he did yeah. he did
2: do that, didn't he?
0: And I went, yeah, I would, too. I still
2: don't understand Gordon's tendency, like, when he throws, like, out bets to make it the most extreme thing in the history of the world. You know, he could just say, hey, do you want to put 20 bucks on it? And his point would get across.
0: But no, he goes to, will you put your mother's life on the line? Yeah,
2: yeah, How about the life of your entire family? Would you (laughs) bet that? Be like Gordon, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet that on like on the opinion that uh, the the sky is
0: blue. Are you kidding?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: would, you, would you bet your life on it? Jake, would you put your daughter's life on the line against the Kings tomorrow? <laughs> right. No? Like, well then don't bring it up. Uh, then, uh, what some, are we doing here? Some opinion. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I I thought you were gonna bring it strong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there are a few other things to note in that game. Certainly, the, this this game was was further evidence, if you needed any, uh, that Donovan Mitchell is extraordinarily important to uh, to this Jazz team. And if you know the, the Timberwolves have really athletic guards, they're not very good. And I know, and I kept bringing this up yesterday on the pre-op and post. But I know Mannix kind of laughed at me when I asked him how the Wolves' record is that bad. But the team that played the Jazz Saturday and Monday. Is not the second worst team in the league, uh, at least against the Utah Jazz. Now, I granted, I'm I'm not consuming every single Minnesota Timberwolves game, so you know don't, they're don't, not your league pass. No, team. I'm not. I'm not consuming every single one of their games. Uh, but the the team that I've see, seen the last two uh, two games plays really physical, in your face defense on the perimeter, and the Jazz without Donovan Mitchell had trouble handling it. And, you know, if, if Donovan Mitchell misses a playoff series, then they're going to have trouble handling it against whoever they play. And that's, that's kind of a, a fact because the Jazz just don't have a ton of uberly athletic players. It's just kind of a reality. I mean, we, we love Joe Ingles, certainly, but, I mean, he's just not an uberly athletic player who's going to beat his own
0: guy. Well, when Howard Beck said to you and Gordon on Friday that uh, the Jazz are proving without Donovan Mitchell that they can get things done, still, was he right then and is wrong now, or were we all just kind of uh, flummox, or not flummoxed, but uh, uh, had the wool pulled over our eyes a little bit that they can get by without Donovan?
2: So that the the thing with that is, is that is subjective, right? I mean, define get by. Are the Jazz the best team in the league without Donovan Mitchell? Pretty comfortable saying no. Yeah, I mean now, if from the other side of it, you want to say should they be good enough to beat the Timberwolves without Donovan Mitchell? Sure, I'll come along with that argument. The Timberwolves haven't won a ton of games against other teams uh, this year in the NBA, so yeah, I'll I'll buy I'll buy into that criticism. But you know, get
0: by. Uh, That was my word, by the way. No, I know. What he said was they've got other offensive go tos, other backup offensive plans if Mitchell's not working. Right. And
2: and you know what? That leaves uh, – and Coach Lacombe brought this up in the postgame. I thought he was right on the money. It just leaves so little margin for error. So if you, you get your three guys that should be making your shots, and Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, and Boyan Bogdanovich, and I'm not – you know, Mike Conley was great last night, so I'm leaving him out of this uh, intentionally, but uh, other than those two turnovers. Um, but five of 30 – those three were 5 of 30. And you know what? The offense was working. The difference between um, Saturday and Monday, because it was kind of groundhog day-y, but there were some subtle differences. They got really open threes last night. Like, the the blender really worked, and they absolutely could not buy a bucket. I didn't think there were a ton of bad shots last night. Maybe, maybe people uh, uh, feel differently. I'm not saying they were perfect, but... You know they missed they missed some open ones, and you know what I like the the number of attempts for Joe Ingles at thirteen. By all means, you're a forty eight percent three point shooter. Keep get get it going. He just didn't he just didn't make them. I mean, it I, I I'm not going make or miss league on you. I, the athletic guards of the Timberwolves gave the Jazz issues, but they missed a lot of shots we've seen him make this year.
0: I did a little bit of a numbers in inspection last night on Jordan Clarkson. I saw this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Gordon, uh, for, the, the, for most of the season, has been uh, beating the drum that Jordan Clarkson takes a lot of shots and takes a lot of bad shots. The, the ball hog drum, yes. Yeah, he, that that's a way to put it. And I thought, well, let's see. Let's take a look and just see, because I've been with you, that I think that's Clarkson's role and it should be his role and he should be... Uh, given the green light even if he's missing one out or he's making one of 15 the next night he should still have the same green light that's been my take well i looked at it and in the 57 games he's played this season the jazz do have a better record when he shoots less than 10 uh three-point attempts in a game but when he shoots over 10 or more uh uh, three-point attempts they have a better winning percentage if that makes any yeah, sense at sure. all. Uh-huh. Better record, better winning percentage. And I think that that goes to show that even if he's not making his shots, the Jazz are better off with him shooting in volume than not.
2: Yes, 100%. And particularly on a night where they're shorthanded without Donovan Mitchell, where somebody has to shoot. And I do think that's becoming an issue with a couple of players who are, uh, you know, Royce O'Neill is having a crisis of confidence because he's passing up a ton of shots. He's getting open ones, and he's just he's just not taking them, and that's uh, that's an issue. But somebody's got to come in and shoot the basketball, and Jordan Clarkson is more than happy to. It just it it. When you move Joe Ingles into the starting lineup, you mess with the rotation that has been extraordinarily successful this year, and that's Joe uh, is out there with Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, George Niang, and Jordan Clarkson, and it's been this incredibly productive uh, lineup. In fact. Um, Coming up tomorrow when we have Lock on, we we'll can we can ask him about it because he's he's been banging this drum a lot. But when the Jazz are blowing teams out and pulling away from teams, is when they go to their bench and the Jazz go to that lineup, and it's been tearing teams up. So when you move Joe Ingles into the starting lineup, it disrupts that rotation. You don't get that lineup nearly as much, if at all, uh, let alone at the time where you can really effectively use it. So it, you know, it changes. It changes things and it stretches people thin. And and all of a sudden. You know, Jordan Clarkson is coming in, and he's taking 20 shots and uh, instead of maybe dialing that back just a tad uh, because there's shots to be had. And if, if guys are going to pass, somebody's got to do it. And Jordan Clarkson didn't do it well last night, but I am perfectly fine with Jordan Clarkson doing it, particularly in, in the lineups that he plays with.
0: Yeah, but, uh, that's, he's a volume shooter. They've designed him to be a volume shooter, right. and they want him to be.
2: And that's why they don't want him playing 35 minutes a game. Good point. Yep. You know, that's why they want him in there for a splashy 25.
0: Yeah, and that's happened so many times. Right. And it's been the difference in a lot of these games this year.
2: How many, uh, when he had 40 against Philly, how many minutes did he play that night?
0: Uh, 29? I'd have to go back
2: and look, but, I mean, it was an incredible amount of points considering the amount of minutes he played. Unbelievable.
0: 29 minutes that night
2: so 40 what was it, 40, 40 points in 29 20 minutes. shots in 29 minutes that's what he does walking bucket but yeah the reason you don't want to play in 35 minutes a game just come in do your thing and uh, you like it's it's like a relief pitcher a come. really good one yeah yeah we don't we don't want you to pitch 5 innings 6 innings 7 innings we want you to go one but we want you to just pitch your took
0: us off Six outs, Max.
2: Yeah, right. All right, let's dive into what uh, the Hammer, John Wilner, is reporting in the uh, San Jose Mercury News. Um, <laughs> he's talking about updating on the the search for a new Pac-12 commissioner. By the way, Bear is gone after June, so there is a bit of a time frame here where they've, they've got to jump on it. Frankly, I'm a little surprised it's still dragging out, but it appears that it's not all that close to a conclusion. Uh, Wilner, uh, talking to people with knowledge of uh, what exactly is going on, um, apparently it's being talked about to effectively split the commissioner role into two roles, an actual commissioner and then a like a, the way he describes it, a de facto co-commissioner. And I'll explain their rationale for that in a minute, but it uh, seems like a pretty extreme idea. Uh, the only name that uh, the hammer brings up here is uh, about a possible candidate is Amy Brooks, that she has been being actively discuss, uh, discussed. She's a former Stanford basketball player who currently serves as the NBA's president for business operations and chief innovation officer. So that's the only name that, uh, that he drops here. But they are considering uh, dividing it into two
0: jobs. And why? OK, you said you'd explain their rationale. I'm dying to know if there is such rationale behind that.
2: So there are competing wants out of the position, all right? The, the presidents are concerned about the negotiations for the upcoming media rights deal. The, uh, the athletic departments that are actually being governed are looking for somebody who can work with them. So there's the, the campus side side. Where like athletic directors really want somebody because because Bear basically ignored all the athletic departments and said we don't really care about you we're into us and your priorities don't really matter he he turned a deaf ear you've uh, Chris Hill has um, complained about this multiple times in public after retiring that uh, that Larry was not very. Uh, interested in the athletic departments that he was charged to manage. So there's the, the the actual sports people that want somebody who has experience in that and that will help them as opposed to get in their way. And you can't find both in one candidate? This is what they're saying, that they can't find somebody who's on the, the savvy business end of things, and you can't find a, the person that also shares those administrative skills. Uh-huh. Because no one else in this world has ever figured out how to hire someone who Apparently does both. Apparently not. And actually, I honestly, I do not hate the concept of having a leader and a lieutenant. Really? But there has to be. See, the problem they're screwing up here is the, the, the power structure. You have to have somebody where the, the buck stops, so to speak, to, uh, to quote uh, President Truman.
0: So, kind of like Dennis Lindsay is the executive vice president of basketball operations. Justin Zanuck's the general manager. Right, it's yeah. a co leadership, but certainly one is higher up on the uh, on the list. So you can call it whatever you want. You just have to, if
2: if the actual power structure is to have two people who each have a vote, I mean, yeah. it, it makes no sense. If they're talking about having a you know uh, a general and a colonel. Okay, And the colonel has a specific set of skills that would help make out. Make
0: him a nightmare for people like you.
2: But I don't, know, I don't know about specifically. like. There's actually dividing the job into two. If that's what they're debating, then that's madness.
0: Yeah, if they're switching reps, you start the game, but then he comes in on the second rep, so to, to make an analogy, uh, then that's never going to work. Right. But if it's, I'm the conference commissioner, but I really deal with the business side of things, Here's the person that's in charge of the sports side of things, right? So,
2: but there's got to be. I mean, why would you?
0: I mean, but why? Co-commissioner is not a good thing.
2: No, it's not. It's not. But I'm. I'm more with you, Austin, where you can't find somebody that that has experience in both of those realms because you know Scotty and Hans mentioned this. I mean, there's you know uh, go look in the SEC, look for somebody, look for their number two who's looking to, for a crack at their own. You know, commission, go to a a high-profile, experienced athletic director. I I said this, and here's here's hot take of all hot take alerts. I'd talk to Tom Homo, a guy who has experience negotiating with television partners as they've—this individual— you know, deal with ESPN, which he's managed for years, and talk about a guy who has really good experience at managing on the athletic side of things, not to mention has incredible leadership and courage, which he's demonstrated to the 1,000th degree during the coronavirus, where he's the lone athletic director standing in the Western United States saying, we're playing, and, and said, we're going to figure this out. I'm going to be a problem solver and a leader as opposed to somebody that just follows. Like Larry Scott did with everything where he just, hey, which way is the wind blowing? All right, well, I'm going to go that way. I mean, who, Larry Scott, he wanted to manage the message. Remember when he tried to hire an L.A. Times reporter to write nice things about him as opposed to, I don't know, make sound decisions based on what's in the best interest of the people you're supposed to represent, you
0: know? He, hired, he hired a comedian because he thought that the conference was too boring, that that's why people were looking down on the Pac-12. He he was a he. That's not that's not sound practicing, right.
2: you know. Tom Homo had every single football player that could tell any outlet or anybody how grateful they were for the leadership of their athletic director. How often do you hear that from college athletes? Yeah. So I I the the Tom Homo thing is a little hot takey, but I think it it is an example of what you're talking about. Find somebody with experience. Running a conference or in the athletic realm who also has the wherewithal to handle a negotiation. And maybe that's, as much as I hate consultants, you know, maybe that's hiring the right consultants. Maybe you
0: hire Tom Homo as a consultant. Right. Because the hot part of the take is it's Tom Homo right the, like, the league would never it's a BYU guy Salt that, Lake Radio guy
2: suggests hiring <laughs> BYU guys that's to the run hot. rival Pac12 yeah but
0: the qualifications line up that he's got for the take right the hot part is him the take is valid find somebody with experience in So both talk to him realms. about who, who who he might suggest Again
2: did who who's the uh, the president of Disney now remember when we had that oh, discussion hire yeah. that
0: guy's kid I can't remember the name yeah, that special, was a great idea
2: special consultant for television negotiation. Uh, Roy Disney the third. (laughs) He's going to come in and and really hammer out this negotiation for us. Uh, And and let's see, I'm trying to scroll down here because Wilner really, uh, really makes a, a good point. Uh, with a quote from a source uh, down here who talked about prioritizing media rights negotiations in hiring a commissioner. The source says, quote, that's fine, but what's an expert in TV going to be doing for the eight years after the deal is in place, unquote? And the answer is what you got from Larry Scott, who negotiated the media rights deal on like his first day and then was like, "Okay, guys, I'm going to be napping in my office. Don't bug me. Uh, you know, don't bug me with your emails and your phone calls and your we need this and that. I did my job. Call that, that crooked lawyer who they had over the replay. What was that guy's name? Woody. Again? Call call Woody about it. He'll he'll take care of it. I'm I'm busy here. I got a, a manny petty scheduled at noon.
0: Dad's at work. Ask mom.
2: Getting on the private jet and going to Bora Bora. <laughs> Taking a five day weekend. See ya. Oh, that's exactly what he did. So I get – I understand their priorities. I get that. I They don't have to I, – I think ultimately you're correct, Austin. They don't have to be competing. They don't have to be competing. Find somebody who's going to have half a brain when it comes to negotiating a media rights deal, but there's no reason that that can't come from collegiate athletic experience. I like outside the box thinking a lot. There, I, I'm sure this and, – and I should make sure and, and get her name. I'm not uh, all that familiar with her uh, – let's see here, Amy, Amy Brooks. I'm sure she, I mean, those are incredible uh, credentials, right? Working for the MBA, um, Chief Innovation Officer, uh, President for Business Operations. I mean, these are big-time credentials. And if... She would be a great kind of out-of-the-box from outside in hire, meaning we, we don't want anybody from the collegiate ranks or has this experience. We need something fresh. We're going to do something so radical. I don't think that that's what this situation calls for. They need a traditional hire of somebody that really has experience and knows what they're doing.
0: Yeah, because they've tried to do it their own way all this time, and they're dead last in the Power Five. They
2: hired Larry Scott, who was writing Serena Williams' coattails right. on the 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 Women's Tennis Association, they, which yeah. uh, you know, talk about somebody you know gravy training credit. They they get <laughs> the the Williams sisters, which are the biggest stars women tennis has ever seen, and Larry goes, "Yep, yep, I made them successful. Did you?" Or or are you just in the right place at the right time there, Lair Bear. But the Pac-12 went t- went outside the box. To your point, they're like, we're going to hire somebody who's going to bring the Pac-12 into the next century, and it's it's not going to be your fuddy-duddy, uh, you know, uh, conference commissioner. Who was the guy they had before? Tim?
0: I don't even no, know. No,
2: Hanson was his last name, and he was very Craig. No, no, no. Craig Hanson, the old pre- <laughs> the president of Simmons Media. No, Tom Tom Hanson. I believe was was it really? He was very stuck in the Stone Age, very you know conservative. By you know, don't bring your radical ideas of conference expansion in here. We are the Pac-10, darn it, you know that that type of thing. Or I think uh, if memory serves, the Pac-10 was really late getting a conference basketball tournament because of that, like (laughs) conference basketball. That's expensive. Please, we, we don't do things that way here in the Pac-10. Anyway, so they went, they, they went from that guy to out of the box with Lair Bear, and now they've got the, the problem that Larry Scott created. And so uh, the, the frustrating part about this, watching it from the outside, is they're like, well, maybe we can out Larry Scott, Larry Scott.
0: Yeah, that's the danger. <laughs> you know? Just it, carbon copy the SEC, the, the ACC, the, the Big Ten, right. carbon copy them. And if we call you out on it, great. So what? You're making money again. Right. And it sounds so
2: like such a conservative hire, but that's what the situation warrants. You need a, you need a football priority commissioner who's going to come in and, and sell it and empower the athletic departments to make their football programs better and also you know, be competent when it comes to basic decisions uh, on every day running the conference. And I guess if you have to jo- divide the job into two, I mean, I, I guess I understand, but I don't, I, I don't see where I think that's necessary. But I do think if they're considering it, they're desperate, and a lot of people have said no. So maybe that's the problem that we don't know.
0: Well, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Uh, that's giving them a lot of credit, by the way, to say that this is their last resort, not their first choice. I kind of fear that it, this is their first preference. Oh, see, I get the feeling that this is pretty last resorty. Well then that, that then they're smarter than I'm giving them credit for, because I, if this if this is the last resort, then okay, I guess this makes sense, But I fear that it's this is what they've wanted to do the whole time, and it's going to be worse.
2: no, I mean I, and this is this is a frightful thought, but the demise of Larry Scott was so long coming that if they actually weren't prepared for him leaving then that that is that is crazy. I mean, they should have had you know. Here's plan A, plan B, plan C, all the way through plan Z. Let's go. And I can't imagine dividing the job into two was... Plan A? Or through, like,
0: plan L. <laughs> it's down there with the S's but, and but T's. But you know
2: what? Maybe they they were just delusional and uh, decided to, to proceed with zero plan whatsoever. And just, hey, you know what, guys? We're going to shoot from the hip on this one. Here we go. It wouldn't surprise maybe, me. Maybe. Maybe. But I, I, I wouldn't think that this was plan A. All right, stay tuned. We'll have more next. This is The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.